1: I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in New York City. And it seems that each and every week I tell you that I'm Clayton and I'm in New York. And yeah, I have not been going to New Jersey lately. The reason why is simply that I've been busy in New York. You know, things are opening back up. Comedy clubs are now at 100% capacity. So if you're coming to New York and you want to see some stand-up, let me know. I will probably be here doing it and I'd love to have you in the audience. You can tweet me at Clayton comic and let me know when you plan to be around and I'll see if I can get you some tickets. Um, Yeah. So things are happening in New York in a way that they haven't for quite some time. And as a result, I have not been traveling as frequently to my beloved to to play on WSOP.com. Today, we're going to be continuing our discussion of my deep run, fairly deep run, I should say, in the ACR Venom PKO. Uh, Before we do, I just want to touch on the World Series of Poker. I'm sure most people listening to this know that there will be a World Series of Poker in Las Vegas this year. It will not be during the summer months. It is from the very end of September through the middle of November. The schedule for this has not yet been released. I'm hoping that they at least do the Mystery Bounty, which was the tournament that I was most excited to play in before the pandemic, when the schedule came out, of what we thought was going to be the 2020 World Series of Poker. There was something called a Mystery Bounty, where you collect somebody's bounty, but you don't know how much that bounty is worth until the end of the tournament. I think that is so exciting. I love that kind of luck factor. I think it will attract the right kind of people to the World Series of Poker to play in that particular event. And as you guys know, I love bounties anyway because they actually tend to favor my playing style, I do believe. So as we all sweat whether or not the WSOP schedule comes out this week or next week, It's got to come out soon because the thing starts in less than four months, but when it comes out, please look right away and see if they included my mystery bounty that I've been waiting now for over a year to play, or at least it will be over a year by the time it actually happens. Anyway, uh, you guys know how I feel about the mystery bounty, so let's get into some hands from the Venom P.K.O. Okay, so just to refresh everybody's memory, this is a $2,650 progressive knockout PKO bounty tournament where the bounties start at $625 and increase from there. So the more bounties you collect, the greater the amount of your bounty. It goes up progressively. So that's the P in the PKO. I'm sure a lot of you already know this. But just in case anyone listening does not, um, this tournament has a $2,650 buy-in. First prize will end up being over a million dollars, including the $500,000 for first plus all of the bounties that whoever gets first is going to collect. We are now on day two. And just to remind you, at the end of day one, I finished in the chip lead of day 1B. But... As it turns out, Day 1-D was massive. And as is always the case, I don't know why, but in every tournament ever, the last day of play is always the biggest and it's never even close. Like the main event, the World Series, they have three starting days and the third day gets more players than the first two days combined. I don't know why. That's just how it is. And I don't know how to change it. So anyway, Day 1-D uh, there was one player who finished with a greater stack than what I had, and he had also actually collected a few more bounties than what I had gotten. So I was uh, firmly in second place heading into day two with just over $6 million in chips when the average stack was a little below $2 million. So we were doing great and feeling good and ready to play. So about an hour or an hour and a half into day two, The blinds were 14,000 and 28,000 with a 4,200 ante per player. So that's a starting pot of 75,6. At that point, we had 5.2 million. So a little bit down for the day, but nothing to worry too much about. Uh, Still with 180-ish big blinds and an M of around 70. So there is literally... No panic whatsoever. We're doing great. We're still in the top 50 of the remaining, I don't know, 500-ish players. uh, But we're just no longer chip leader or in the top five like we had been for the first few minutes of the day. Uh, We recently moved to this table. We haven't been here long. We've only seen a few hands. But already we've noticed some wild and loose aggressive action at this second table of the day. And one of the really aggressive players at the table is in third position. And remember, it's eight-handed, so he opens uh, to sixty-one thousand six hundred. Remember, the big blind is twenty-eight thousand, so it's just a little bit more than uh, min raise. Uh, he's got four point three million behind, so we're playing deep stack poker here. Uh, it, the action folds to me on the button with my five point two million holding the King of Spades and Ten of Diamonds. I have my whole table covered. The original Razor has a bounty of about 2,200, so fairly significant. The Small Blind is a fairly loose passive player that I have pegged as an amateur, recreational, fun player, whatever you want to call him. And then the Big Blind with 900,000 in his stack, so... Pretty well below average stack size there uh, is a tight reg who may or may not be thinking about just getting into the money. I believe at this point in the tournament, we're not yet in the money. So that's happening really soon, but we're not quite there now. So uh, we're on the button with King10 off. I mean, you can fold. It's a raise from early position. King 10 is, you know, we used to call it a trap hand, a trouble hand, because sometimes when you flop a pair, you find out the hard way that you were dominated all along. Uh, It's fine to fold. I don't like to fold my button. I subscribe to the Matt Berkey philosophy of the button should be protected even more vehemently and more adamantly than the big blind. So my thinking here is that folding Is okay, but it's not for me. Uh, I would probably fold 10-8 offsuit, 10-9 offsuit, but I'd probably call with a hand as bad as Jack-10 offsuit, just to give you a feel for what my range is like. Deep stacked with 180 big blinds. Well, of course, my opponent has more like 150 big blinds, but still, I'm not really interested in folding King-10. So the question for me is just, do I want a three bet or just flat. And, you know, a few years ago, I would never be 3-betting with a hand like this. But now I see the uh, I see the theory behind it. I mean, we block some pretty strong hands by having a king and a 10. Uh, we would rather take it down than see a flop. And the only way to do that is to be aggressive and put in a re-raise. I just think that mixing it up is is totally fine. You can sometimes 3-bet, But you can also just play position and and flat call on the button with a pretty wide range and do pretty well deep stacked. The value of being in position, okay, is greater the more chips we have. So the deeper stacked we are, the more valuable the button is to us. It may actually be more important than our actual starting hand. So uh, just keep that in mind as you... Listen to this if you're thinking, well, why would you play King-10? You know, yeah, if you're in a short-stack turbo tournament or something, you should probably just throw this away. Uh, but deep-stacked, we can definitely make a pretty compelling case for playing the cards either as a 3-bet or a flat. Uh, in this case, I decided to just call and the blinds fold. So we're going to see a flop in position with King-10 offsuit against A fairly wild, loose, aggressive opponent. So with 200,000 in the pot, the flop comes queen of hearts, jack of hearts, 10 of clubs. So queen, jack, 10. We have bottom pair and an open-ended straight draw with our king, 10. Opponent leads continuation bets, I should say, 117 into 200. So this is a fairly big sizing So before we decide what to do, let's figure out whether his sizing is a mistake in general. So it's queen, jack, ten with two hearts. And our opponent can certainly have the nuts with ace, king uh, and want to protect it against the uh, flush draw, which is one thing that he could represent with a big bet like this. He could also certainly have pocket queens, pocket jacks, pocket tens all in his range although at least two of those hands are probably in my range at least some of the time when I don't 3-bet. So certainly he doesn't have a particularly strong range advantage here, in my opinion. As I even mentioned, one of the hands I might call with would be like a queen-jack or jack-10 type of hand. So I have a lot of two-pair in my range. I have a lot of the type of hand that I have, like a pair and a straight draw. So... It kind of makes sense if he wants to bet a little bigger than what we normally do. Like nowadays, the typical C-bet sizing is around 30%-ish. Some players are even going a little lower than that, more like the 25% range nowadays. So for him to bet more than half the pot on this flop uh, says something, and it's kind of hard in a high-stakes tournament to always know exactly what it says and whether this was a conscious decision by him or not, it does put us in a, in a tough spot because we have a little too much to let go, right? We've got bottom pair, which is going to be good at least some of the time, like when our opponent opened with a hand like pocket nines, ace five suited. Uh, so yeah, just because we have third pair on the flop doesn't mean we're necessarily behind. Uh, so yeah, certainly we could have the best hand, but even if not, we have a lot of potential with that open-ender to go along with it. So I think our hand is too good to fold, and raising is okay, but I really don't want to get blown off of this hand. So we just decide to call. It would be kind of a disaster if he leads out for 117 and then we make it, like, I guess 300, and then he comes over the top and we have to fold a hand that will often have so much equity versus our opponent's hand. So I don't want to raise for that reason. I just want to call and play more passively because we're in position. And I think that's fine. Uh, So now we call and the pot has ballooned up to 434,000. And the turn comes, the four of clubs. So our board is now queen of hearts, jack of hearts, 10 of clubs, four of clubs. So two Available flush draws now, and we don't block anything. We have the king of spades, 10 of diamonds. So, on the four of clubs turn, opponent fires again, this time 346k into 434. So, another decidedly large sizing from this opponent. So, now it feels to me like he's got a strong one pair hand a lot. Now, he could certainly make this play. With other hands, but it feels to me like he should often have something like ace queen, possibly pocket aces. I pick those two hands also because I don't block them at all. And he's betting heavy because he sees how wet the board is and he doesn't want us to call and beat him. So it feels like he's betting heavy to try to protect his range a lot. Now, he could also do this with a set or a straight. Uh, You know, this is a high-stakes tournament. He seems like, even though he's pretty wild and loose, he also seems competent and experienced. So he might have the ability to represent what it looks like while actually holding the nuts. Despite all that, I'm not going anywhere. We're calling. We've got bottom pair. We're still open-ended. And now, my thinking is, even if we don't get there, If he checks the river on a scare card, we can definitely rep it. Our hand feels like a draw a lot. So that was part of why I called on the turn. You cannot call on the turn for this sizing, planning to play a fit or fold strategy on the river. So we've got some phantom outs that we're looking for that might come in handy as a safety valve. But really, we're just hoping to make a straight and see what happens then. Anyway, with 1.1 million in the pot, the river comes the six of hearts completing a flush for a final board of queen of hearts, jack of hearts, 10 of clubs, four of clubs, six of hearts. So the front door flush got there and opponent checks action on Clayton with just a pair of 10s. I think we need to turn this hand into a bluff. One reason we called the big bet on the turn was because we thought we could represent one of these, what I call, phantom outs. It looks like it hit my hand at least some of the time. You know The way I've played this so passively, just calling and calling and calling all the way, that's how many players act when they have a draw. So now the most obvious draw gets there. Now we need to represent it when he checks. So when he checks, with 1.1 million in the pot, we need to make a bet that will get one pair like pocket aces or ace queen to fold. So I went with two thirds here. I think that's about right. 700k into 1.1 million, and our opponent did fold. So that was a uh, a nice result for hero so uh, a while later you know things continued to go well for a while then a few things went not so well we flopped a set and lost yada 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 lost a coin flip trying to collect a bounty blah 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 anyway when the blinds were up to 16k 32k with a 4800 ante our stack was down to 4.8 million. Uh, Still well above average, about two times average, in fact, um, second in chips at our table and top 100 overall out of the 400 and something left in the in the event. So two folds to the player on my right who opens to 80,000 with six million behind. So he's the only player at this table that has us covered uh he's a tough player hasn't been as loose and aggressive as some at our table but he's definitely made some plays and been fairly hard to handle we're happy to be on his left in fact the players that seem to be sharks to me at this table were on my right except for one so that's the good news the silver lining to the dark cloud it turns out one of my opponents at this table is like an elite coach on one of the most expensive training websites and, you know, a little bit of Google searching. Some of my other opponents, uh, many of them with multi-million dollar Hendon mobs, et cetera. So I was not at a at a good table anymore. The first table I had was pretty manageable and I was happy to be there. Uh, this table was much tougher and it seemed like every pot People were fighting tooth and nail trying to win it. So this player opens in third position to 80K. And we are next to act with pocket sevens in the hijack. Okay, so you could certainly three bet. I don't really have a problem with people three betting this hand, especially deep stacked, like kind of pre-flop decisions have a lot more merits on both sides. I figured let's just call and try to hit a seven <laughs> and play the, play the hand that way. Um, but yeah, if you want a three bet, you definitely can. I would absolutely disapprove of folding. So that's really the only strategy that I'm not into. But yeah, I think calling is totally fine. So we put in 80K. We have 4.8 million behind. So plenty of implied odds if we happen to flop a set. Um, let's see if folds to the big blind who calls with 2.6 million behind. Uh, so there are going to be three of us to the flop and the bounties that my opponents have are 2,100 for the original razor and 2,500 for the big blind. By the way, at this point, our bounty is worth like, I think six, 6,000 or something. So, um, you know, because we collected so many on day one, and picked up a couple early on day two as well. Uh, We are still one of the biggest bounties in the tournament, despite no longer having a top 10 stack. So with 295,000 in the pot and hero holding pocket sevens, the flop comes queen of clubs, eight of hearts, five of spades. So queen, eight, five, rainbow, Hero holding the seven of clubs, seven of diamonds. Uh, Let's see. The big blind checked. The original razor checked. And now the action is on us in position. What do you want to do, guys? Do you want to bet this? I mean, I guess the case for betting is you can protect your equity when you're very vulnerable against hands like uh, H-Jack, Jack-10. Like these kind of hands that might not... Call a bet when you give them a free card to beat you. They have so much equity, they will often end up doing just that. So that's the case for betting. I just think trying to bluff two tough opponents on a queen 8-5 flop with plenty of straight draws available and the possibility that just because nobody bet, somebody could still easily have a queen or even better than a queen it just feels a little bit too dangerous to me. So I just decided to check behind and play poker going forward. I think when I check here, I need to be a little bit sticky on at least 4th Street. Because I've now I've basically underrepped the fact that I have a pretty decent pair for the situation. So yeah, we all checked. And then the turn is the tray of clubs. So our board is now queen, eight, five, tray with two clubs. And the big blind suddenly wakes up and fires 121,000 into the 295 pot. So roughly 40% there. Uh, Yeah, so this player is very tough, loose aggressive. Like he knows when to step on the gas and he has been really getting after it, uh, but not in such a way that makes me think he's just a maniac or he's a crazy guy that doesn't know what he's doing. He's just a good, tough, loose, aggressive opponent. So his bet here could mean a lot of things. You have to give it a little bit more credit just because there are two opponents. Players are generally less likely to be bluffing into two opponents than they would be into one. It's much easier to bluff one opponent than it is two. And at this point, most players in this tournament know that. So you got to give it a little bit more credence, but not necessarily assume that your sevens are beat just because he bet 121 into 295. Uh, the original Razor folds, and so action is on Clayton with the sevens, and we decide to call on the turn and reevaluate on the river. The river. Is the Queen of Spades pairing the top card on board for a final board of Queen 8, 5, Trey Queen? And now opponent overbets 595,000 into the 535K pot. And this is a really tough spot. You might say, well, Clayton, if you call the turn, you have to call the river, blah, blah, blah. You got to really think, though, this Queen is not a good scare card for him to bluff. I mean, it's less likely he has a queen. And since it's less likely he has a queen, it's less likely he has anything. And yet here he is over betting, really polarizing himself. He's representing that queen or better, or he's bluffing. He's never going to get called and showed like bottom pair or, or fourth pair or something like that on, on this board. So I should say third pair because on a paired board, <laughs> fourth pair is bottom pair, So I think I just saved myself a few tweets on that one. Anyway, uh, it's tough, but because we just didn't know what to do, we decided to call, and Villain turns over Jack9offsuit for an absolute bluff. He did have a gut shot, and he did not block clubs. Otherwise, his play is fairly hard to justify uh, yeah. Okay. So you have a gutter and everybody checked the flop. So you decide to, sh- to be aggressive on the turn. Um, and then really, what is he getting to fold? Like I'm never folding a pair. I don't think I didn't fold seven. So I certainly wouldn't have folded if I had an eight. I don't think that I would have folded if I had a five, he really only gets flush draws or other, uh, hands that missed to fold. Hands like 7-6 open-ended on the flop, right? Or if I picked up a flush draw on the turn. And that's why it's important he doesn't have a club. So it's more likely that I did pick up a flush draw on the turn. But even so, if that's the case, it seems like over betting is unnecessary here. I mean, if you're just going to get really weak hands to fold anyway. And by the way, some of those hands Jack-9 is actually beating. I don't really agree with the decision to overbet here. So if anyone listening to this can make a good case for this sizing in this situation, um, I would love for you to share that rationale on Twitter at Clayton comic, but either way, it was a great hand for us. I'm glad that I found the call. It wasn't the easiest call I've ever made, but I just think combinatorically sevens will be good a lot. And also, this player had already established himself as uh, quite a go-getter. So because he had been out of line in a few spots already, I didn't think that folding to this particular overbet, a hand as strong as pocket sevens, which I did under rep on the flop, made a lot of sense. And even though I wasn't happy with calling, I did. And sometimes that's just how No Limit Hold'em tournaments work especially the higher stakes, you've got tough decisions and there's a, a certain amount of guesswork involved. And in this spot, I happen to guess right. Okay. Let's squeeze one more day two hand into this podcast episode for you guys. Uh, I know you love strategy and we're just going to keep reliving my uh, glory days in the PKO venom on ACR. So, much later in the tournament, the blinds are now up to twenty-five k, fifty k with a seventy-five hundred ante, and we are again in the top ten, well into the money, seven point three million in our stack when the average is just below three million. So life is good. The pre-flop pot is one hundred thirty-five thousand, so our M is fifty-five, and we've got one hundred forty-five. Big blinds. Uh, The player who tried to bluff us in the previous hand that we discussed, so we're still at that same table, he is now in second position, so one fold to him, and now he min raises to 100 with 3.5 million behind. Again, he's got about a $2,500 bounty on his head. Folded to us on the button, holding the ace of spades, king of spades. Uh, I think this is a... Pretty much an automatic three bet, just straight up for value. So sure, we re raised to three hundred fifty thousand, which I think is perfectly fine sizing. Uh, the small blind folds, and the big blind, who is a brand new player who just joined our table a few hands ago. He is currently the tournament chip leader, with eight point eight million in his stack. Uh, He's got a $4,500 bounty. Not that any of us can collect it because, again, he's the chip leader. Uh, Calls, cold calls from out of the big blind, the two raises. And the original razor just calls as well. So three of us will see a flop. Hero holding the ace of spades, king of spades. Now, before we talk about the flop and what all happened next, let's talk about what this deep stack chip leader should have in his range. I mean, to me, I think he should have a lot of like pocket jacks, pocket tens, pocket nines. There's already been substantial heat in front of him, but his hand is just a little too good to throw away. Some players might cold call with an ace queen suited, maybe an ace jack suited, although I would probably fold that in his shoes. I think some players would call with that as well as, you know, just other hands that people never fold, like jack-10 suited, things like that. So uh, just trying to get a range on him after he's looked at two raises at a fairly new table that he just joined and decides to just call. Now, we don't have much of a feel for his playing style, which is why I say, what should his range look like? I mean, if this guy is a luck box satellite winner uh, (laughs) who's just the chip leader, because he's getting hit over the head with it, as we've all seen in God knows how many tournaments we've played over the years, then sure, he could have much worse than that. Uh, We really don't know, but generally speaking, the assumptions we want to make in a high-stakes tournament like this one are directly the opposite of the assumptions you make about your opponents in a 2 or $3 buy-in, right? So, whereas if I'm playing a very low-stakes tournament, I can kind of assume that my opponents are non-professionals and that they might not be that serious about poker. Maybe they're just having a good time and playing a little $3 tournament on a Friday night or something. This is obviously uh, much more serious money, uh, both the buy-in and the prize pool and the fact that we're down to, you know, let's say about 300 players left in the whole darn thing. Uh, we have to assume that players are taking things seriously because first prize is going to be as mentioned over a million bucks. So I think that his call will typically be a pretty strong hand, but one that did not want to four bet. Now for some players, they'll never four bet in this spot because they want the original razor to do the dirty work. So remember the original raise came from second position and now it's a three bet from the button. So, My hand doesn't have to be that strong, but the fact that the original Razor is under the gun plus one, he's supposed to have a pretty strong range. So with a hand-like pocket aces, this big blind chip leader guy could just call and then hope that there's more raising that happens behind him so that he can come over the top again and possibly stack another deep-stacked opponent, collect another bounty, increase his chip lead, and basically live the life most men can only dream of. So that could be part of his thinking. So when he calls, I can't rule out premium pocket pairs like the nuts. I also don't want to rule out hands that a lot of players would fold, like ace jack of diamonds or jack 10 suited hands like that, that most of us would probably have gotten rid of. You can't be sure, especially with this many chips, what somebody's up to. So that's what we're thinking. Uh, The good news will be in position. Good news, we have Ace-King suited. Uh, So these are all good things. There is 1.15 million in the pot. And the original Razor, the player from early position, has now the effective stack, which is only 3.15 million. So his SPR is actually less than 3, which is a key number in terms of SPR. Uh, So the flop comes... Queen of Spades, Jack of Clubs, Trey of Spades. Hero holding the Ace-King of Spades. So we now have a gut shot to the nuts and a flush draw to the nuts. So what a great flop for us. Both opponents check. I see no reason not to bet. We almost want to get check raised because our hand is so strong versus anything that we're actually pretty happy to shovel a lot of chips in, especially against the original Razor, who, again, only has an SPR of three. I would love to play for his $2,500 bounty. Even if he's got, like, a set here, we're loving life because we still have so many outs, even against the worst-case scenario. So we fire 310, which almost begs to get check raised. The big blind calls, and the original Razor folds. So now we have to play against the player who actually has us covered, who's also a new player at the table, And we don't really have a feel for his playing style. And we have no hands on him. I think we had some insignificant number of hands, like four or five hands. So we're not going to use the HUD to try to figure this guy out either. No big deal, right? Just give me a 10 on the turn and we'll call it a day. Uh, The pot is now 1.76 million. And the turn comes the King of Clubs. So our board is now Queen of Spades, Jack of Clubs. Tray of Spades, King of Clubs. So two Spades and two Clubs. Hero holding the Ace of Spades, King of Spades. And our opponent checks again. Do we want to bet this card? Uh, There's certainly a case to be made. I mean, there's some chance that our top pair, top kicker is good. Even if it's not, we have plenty of outs to become good, such as a 10 or a Spade, possibly even an Ace, depending on, what exactly we're up against. Um, I don't know. I feel like this is probably a mix. Overall, you don't really want to get check raised anymore. As we know, the flop is a much better street for drawing hands than the turn. Uh, Not that our hand is a pure drawing hand, but I believe that often if we get check raised, it is a drawing hand at that point because one pair of kings is mostly behind versus a reasonable check raising range even though it's a pretty wet board and you could certainly mix in a lot of straight draw flush flush draw combo draw kind of things because we have the ace of spades and the king of spades we have a lot of those cards so that means if we bet here and get check raised it's actually harder for our opponent to have a draw which means that a pair of kings is probably drawing i hope that made sense if not press the back 30 seconds button and listen to it again because I think I said it right. (laughs) I'll probably listen to it again myself before I send this over. Anyway, we decide to check for that reason. Things are getting a little murky right here on the turn. Although if the river's a brick and he checks again, we can certainly go for value with our pair of kings, ace, kicker. But yeah, we just really didn't want to bet into this board with this particular hand knowing that if we get check raised, we're almost definitely behind, and yet we have to call anyway because we have so many outs. So almost no matter how big of a check raise our opponent wants to put in, unless it's astronomical, we will have to call, and we're not going to like that. So it's better to protect our stack and make sure we have almost the whole table covered uh, you know, for bounty purposes. So I decided to just check here. Let me know your thoughts on that decision because that's one I've thought about a lot since then, and I see pros and cons on both sides. The River's a deuce of hearts for the final board of Queen, Jack, Trey, King, Deuce, with two spades and two clubs and one heart, and the Big Blind now overbets 2.6 million into 1.76 million, and should Clayton fold, call, or raise? I think raising is crazy. Uh, Our opponent will often have a hand that is not folding to a raise. And because he's polarizing himself, he shouldn't have anything that's mediocre enough to fold to my raise. So what that means is I'm only getting him to fold when he has the bluff. Completely unnecessary to do that with a pair of kings because we can already beat All the bluffs. Anyway, so raising is out of the question. When we call an overbet, we need to be good so often. Like for this call to be profitable, our hand needs to be good about 40% of the time. So I don't know. Is a pair of kings good that often? It's probably right around there, but maybe not. We really don't know this opponent. This is all too murky too muddy, maybe in a different type of tournament. It's okay to call this over bet like I called the one in the other hand when I had the sevens. But in this spot, without having a read on the player, there are just too many ways for one pair of kings to be no good. And so for that reason, I threw it away. And that'll do it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed these hands and kind of Getting a feel for my thought process as I was trying to play this tournament, which is a little bit out of my league as far as uh, the general skill level for the average opponent in this high-stakes buy-in PKO tournament. As you can see, I had a number of tough decisions. But you know what, guys? When you play in big tournaments with a million dollars up top, uh, you will often have tough decisions. The reason why is better opponents are good at giving you tough decisions to make. So I'm really glad I bought into this thing. I'm glad that I did well in it. Uh, And I learned a lot from playing it and studying the hands afterwards. So I'd love your thoughts on everything that we discussed, anything at all that came up on this episode. Get on Twitter and tweet me at Clayton Comic. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fledger. Thank you so much for listening. I
0: want to hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. I it. Lock and intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on.